When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. It's been for like 15 years. Uh, it's almost as long as uh, almost as long as I've been coaching. So, um, yeah, the 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 time that I was coaching high school football, I was I, I was never a high school teacher, which some in some ways is fascinating. I, I, the story I tell best is I think it's made me slightly more marketable over the years, just from a standpoint of there there uh, hasn't needed to be a teaching position in the building uh, in order for me to, to get a coaching position. I tried a couple times go back to school to get secondary uh, subsequent certification. Ended up um, increasing our family each time that that happened. So it was just kind of the time commitment of teaching full time and um, coaching part time. And it, as those were back in the days where I was coaching a couple of different sports as well. Um, and then you know you throw trying to raise a family on top of that, and something's got to give and. That, that what happened to give was it looks like I'm not going to be teaching high school anytime soon, but that's, I think it's all worked out for the best just from the standpoint of junior high for me uh, was a challenging time as, as a student, uh, as, as a, as a young man. So being able to use those experiences as we all do uh, to, to hopefully have an impact on others, you know, that's just, that's, that's where my sweet spot is. So, I, I, you know, it's all worked out for the best. Yeah, I'm a TA at a middle school, and I enjoyed it at first. 
And then I'm like, I need to be around high school kids because these middle school kids are crazy. Yeah. Are we all that crazy in middle school? Probably. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, so my, my, um, (laughs) this is going to sound, I don't know how it's going to sound. So there's, there's a, there's a part of me that I think the reason I chose junior high is because I can be the most authentic version of myself around other adolescents. You know what I mean? So like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little out there. I think you have to be a little out there to teach junior high to a degree. Um, you know, I, the kindergarten and elementary teachers who I, who I know and I'm friends with and the high school teachers I'm friends with, like, you, you know, you, yeah, I had a, 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 a screw or two loose. And I think the same thing about them. Like I can imagine I have young kids. I can't imagine, you know, teaching kindergarten or first grade. Um, I'm coaching my boys T-ball team. He's five, it's a bunch of five-year-olds, like kicking dirt and, you know, not really paying attention to everything like that and trying to teach him how to play T-ball. I can't imagine doing that day in and day out with, with actual academics and like spelling and counting and this and that and the other. So, you know, we're all, we're all built and, and gifted to be around a certain age group uh, of, of students, you know, regardless of uh, what, what age group you're teaching. I think you're, you know, we all have the gifts to be around. So we all, we all think we're, you know, elementary Teachers are crazy, or high school teachers are crazy, or middle school teachers, it doesn't matter. Like, we all, I think we all think the other is crazy no matter what. Yeah, well, at least coaching, I'm not meant to do middle school. I've done it. Mm-hmm. I was an eighth grade basketball assistant. I was a head seventh grade basketball coach. Then I was an assistant seventh grade basketball coach again. And I quickly realized that ain't for me. I am a sure. high school coach. I only did the seventh grade coach up here to get my foot in the door to, to try to get to a high school for basketball. And I quickly mm-hmm. realized halfway through, I was like, yeah, I'm not meant to. I'm too, uh, how do I put this? Too intense. Sure. I get it. Um, there's I'm a degree. Well, yeah. There's a degree of, and it's not, you know, not, not to paint anybody in a bad light. Cause I know I am very similar, but there's, and I guess you could kind of put this in the same boat as teachers who teach at a certain level. Like I would argue that someone who teaches kindergarten has to have a higher threshold for patience than someone who does not teach mm-hmm. kindergarten, who teaches, you know, older students. But like that, there are a variety of characteristics that in co- uh, teachers and coaches possess that, again, I think you're, you're just a better fit for a certain age group or level to be around. Um, I know what you're saying. So, you know, similar situation. Anytime I was teaching at a junior high, I generally coached at least one other sport while I was there in addition to football and um, kudos to all the administrators um, for whom I've ever worked because that was never an issue. Like I, I was always upfront about that, you know, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a high school football coach. So if that's an issue, they'll like, well, as long as you coach something else here, I don't really think we have a problem with that. So um but yeah, coaching coaching the, the junior high kids are is a little different. I guess there's more teaching involved, especially because you're I, I remember you may have had a similar experience where I can think of a school where I taught at toward the beginning of my career. Um, it was a it was a um, predominantly Hispanic neighborhood and culture. And so historically uh, those kids gravitated a little bit more towards soccer. And I coached basketball and there is a significant difference between 
uh, hand-eye coordination in basketball, and I don't know what you call it. Is there such a thing as foot-eye coordination? But you'd find that a lot of the a lot of those um, athletes who are really, really good at using their feet, not necessarily good at using your hands, and you really had to teach uh, specific skills and fundamentals and build them from the ground up. And uh, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. And if you if you don't have the patience or understanding to do that, and I'm not saying that as slight against anyone, I'm just saying. You know, some people that that's just not their natural fit, and I get it. You know, that's that's one of the reasons. So I mentioned coaching my my little guy's t-ball team. My dad um, was never a coach of mine, and it's just he's. I remember him saying one time, he's like, I just don't have the patience for that." And I get it. As long as you're self-aware and know what you are, you know, know your strengths and weaknesses, right? Know what what you can what you can do and what you can't do. And why would we? as coaches or teachers put our students or players in a position to do something that they're not going to do well, why would I put myself in a position to do something that I'm not going to do well? Now, there's a difference between that and am I stretching myself a little bit and in, 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 in an attempt to improve? And maybe I can go, like, for example, I think we talked last time about coaching on either side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will benefit me to coach defense if I've only coached offense or vice versa. You know, that's a little bit different than, um, you know, I think what I'm talking about with regard to being with a, a specific age group that I know um, I may not be built to or, or built to handle or fit to handle. But you don't know if you don't try either. Uh, so I don't know if that – made a lick of sense at all. <laughs> well, it does because I find – and then another reason why I can't do it, I think we talked about some. I got thrown into the fire when I was coaching at 18 or 19. I followed mm-hmm. my head varsity coach around, and I just helped him out with varsity or JV. I've never done – at the time, never did anything below that. Once in a great while, I would help out the freshman offensive coordinator because he was brand new. Steve, you played in this offense. You know it. Go help him. Yeah. And then the first time I ever coached anything below that was an assistant eighth grade basketball coach at Charleston. But the eighth grade coach at the time, it had been his 24th year doing it. So he'd been around, you know, he won a state title. And so it didn't, I just followed his lead. And then I just did all high school. Then I went back to being a head seventh grade basketball coach. And at that time, I kind of realized even back way back then, this was 2017. I even knew then, I was like, I'm not meant to do this. So it was the, my top six kids can handle it. And I'm like, you guys are going to be really good if you can handle me right now. The rest of them had the parents calling me or emailing me. Why is my kid not playing? What about this? What about this? I had a kid call a Jimmy John sandwich at halftime, start eating it. That's the type of stuff I was dealing with. Sure. And I was like, yeah, I'm not meant. So I think it was both. <laughs> I think it was my patience level, which is on me. But then it was, I just didn't know since I had was just thrown to the fire. And then after mm-hmm. my high school, I went to Charleston high school. It was the same thing. Oh, you have varsity JV experience. That's what you're going to do here. And I was mm-hmm. fine with it. When you're young, you're like, yeah, I want to wear the headset on Friday night. I want to be up in the box. I want to do this all day, all day. And a part of me though, wants to go back in time and say, go coach freshman ball. At least never mm-hmm. done it. Never done it. Uh, maybe when I'm older, I will, but that's what's happened. Now it's to the point where, you're almost overqualified. So if I go to a different school, they're like, you're varsity. You have this experience mm. of varsity. And that's mm-hmm. fine. But when I'm 60, do I want to do that? But that's why I, I'm going around in a circle. That's why for me, younger kids, I just can't. No patience. And I don't know how to go about it because all I've done is deal with 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah. Below that, I have not. 
No, that's good self-awareness. It is. And like, I, I don't, I think we're, we're, um, we're speaking the same language here. It's just a matter of, you know, you know, what is, what you can add to whether it's a classroom or a basketball program or a football program. So, um, yeah. And I mean, again, there's a difference between stepping out of your comfort zone, but you know, how far outside that comfort zone, you know, I would argue that you could step too far out and, 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 um, Again, I don't know, is is setting yourself up for failure? Obviously, failure leads to success, but I'm not necessarily a, a believer in going out of my way to fail in order to, to learn those lessons. I, get, I do a pretty good job of messing things up that are in my comfort zone. I don't necessarily need to step too far outside of it to fail. Well, that's <laughs> Just for the sake of failure. Well, that's why, like right now, we won't do it in July, but you know, in June, when you come into high school, you have the freshmen around you, you have sophomores around you when you're doing stuff you have we still had some coaching changes again so you have coaches watching like o-line because i'm o-line you have the coaches watching me like what drills is he doing so they can take them so i have the freshmen and i'm already like getting after it with the old guys i'm like we are, we just did this two months ago a month ago so right. we got to move now it's all technique but some of these freshmen their eyes do this and I had to pull them all in. I'm like, guys, this is what's going to happen. Like, cause you know, they screw around, they do whatever. And I had to pull them aside. I'm like, look, freshman ball this year, if you guys screw around, that's fine. But look what you're coming to. You've got to figure it out. Cause I don't put up with them. The old, but what's cool is the old guys, if they're screwing around in line, they turn around after one year of being with me, they're like, stop. Coach Steve's going to freak out if you keep doing whatever. Mm. And, th- and then they start helping them out. Like skip pulling was a big thing for me with power. Okay. shuffled before I got there, which was fine, but I want to skip pull. Now I've got older guys bringing the freshmen over, showing them, which is fantastic. And then the best part is I joke around. So if I compliment a kid, I'm like, you better write that down because it ain't going to happen again or, or whatever. <laughs> Put it on the calendar. Yeah. And they, some, one of my players told the freshman, I complimented a freshman or something. They said, write it down and sleep next to that piece of paper because you'll never have it again from him. <laughs> And I start laughing. I'm like, they get it. They understand. But yeah, the freshmen, I realize even for them, their eyes get big. And I'm just like, yeah, I meant to do the varsity JV stuff. But it just that was real funny. After just the spring of being with me, they're like, he, they understand. Mm-hmm. And they know that I can get after it. They immediately just turn around like, I think you've been there. A kid will ask me a question. I'm like, hold on. And I'll get after somebody else. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And it's, it's just a switch. Those mm-hmm. freshmen, I, I had to tell those freshmen, that I'm like, don't be scared of me. Don't be doing that. Don't think this is intense. I'm just letting you know in July and August, if you're not paying attention and not doing what's asked of you, it ain't going to go well. Right. It's going to be fun. But that's another reason why I'm like, maybe freshman ball ain't my thing either. I don't know. I was like, oh, they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like one guy looked at me, I was crazy because I made him start over. I have like a system over and do footwork. We're going to do this cone drill. We're going to do it's just back, like boom, 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 boom. We got to like the third thing and they, I had enough. I said, we're starting over. Go right back to starting over. And they're like, what? I'm like, it was a freshman. They did something. Yeah. I can't remember. And I'm like, start over. So do you guys, I'm imagining that this, this kind of has had an effect. I don't I can't remember if we talked about this last time or not. Um, the amount of players whose first experience with organized football is freshman football. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, once upon a time, you know, our, 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 the Wee program that I developed under uh, was pretty substantial. And, and I would argue that it was probably, I mean, I don't know if I had to put a number on it. I remember a lot more guys having played Wee football than not. Let's put it that way. By the time I went out for freshman football, um, the majority of us played peewee and now it seems like there's been a and and for i understand the you know the 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 concussion situation and the fewer parents are allowing kids to play earlier and this and that and the other um i kind of i get all of that and there's actually uh a, a previous school where i taught we actually had sanctioned middle school football like we had a middle school football team uh, and that kind of has gone a little about a little by the wayside as well in terms of again um having not only the budget for it but i think also the ability to um ensure for whatever i mean i don't know a whole lot about it but i imagine there has to be some sort of um insurance situation with regard to injuries at that level. Uh, so I guess the point I'm trying to make is nowadays, I think, and that could have been part of it was like, this kid has never played football before. Um, he's never had that sort of experience with, with a coach. And I mean, you know, football kind of lends itself. I think, I think because of the, um, I don't want to use the word danger. I mean, there is an inherent violence. I don't know if, I don't even know if that's the right word. Um, cause I remember hearing once upon a time, football is not a contact sport, it's a collision sport. So I think because of the inherent, whatever you want to call it, fill in the blank, um, that lends itself to coaches. Like I remember coaches would, would be that way with us. If like safety was an issue, like the loudest I ever heard a coach yell was if you were putting yourself or someone else in a position where they could legitimately get severely injured. Yep. And I kind of always taken my that I taken that lead as you know you don't yelling is not necessarily part of who we are. Me personally, you know, personality wise or whatever, I'm not going to get into a huge debate about that. But um, you know, here he, hearing yelling generally, I'll only do it if somebody's safety is in jeopardy. Um, I don't know. But that's interesting. So maybe that kid was was that was his first experience, like <laughs> with any sport. I mean, maybe not just football. I don't know. Um, I was a big yeller when I was the OC, but that was just that's an off-air topic as to why I had to be the yeller. I had to become the bad cop for the program. That's so when I yell, it might be because I'm telling you the thing the seventh time, and I get frustrated. Got it. Yep. And then I think all line coaches and I'm just generalizing, we kind of get after it because we're hitting all the time. We're doing whatever. Um, in a game, I yell, but it's more of like you've coached throughout the week. So come Friday, you have to do your job. Now I can make tweaks or do whatever, but I can't do it for you at that point. So I can get frustrated, but I can look at them and say, guys, we did it all week. Here's the tweaks. Here's what you're doing wrong. You got to do it now. So I think if I yell, it's during the week. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Then Friday mm-hmm. is just a normal competitiveness that we all have. Um, yeah, let me let me let me walk that back a little bit. So I think, in, to be a little bit more specific, I think yelling specifically from an anger perspective, because I mean, yeah, I'm I, not gonna. I, I saw an interesting social media thing. I think it was uh, Coach Mackey mentioned something about um, uh, therapy. I've been through therapy myself, specifically for anger management. Now that's. A conversation, longer conversation than we had time for. But the fact of the matter is, yelling specifically from anger. I mean, you can yell. This reminds me of an episode of Last Man Standing that I just watched on a rerun recently. Um, yelling. What's the purpose for yelling? Are you yelling like people yell because they're passionate about something? It's not always out of anger. Like we yell when we're happy. We yell when we're scared. We yell when it depends on the you know emotion that is building to that point and. To be quite honest, if we're talking about player safety, um, I think that that's a passion and a concern. It's not necessarily just deep-rooted anger that that's coming out. You know what I mean? So, no, I, I think coaches get it when they hear that. If they hear that on a podcast or another coach talking, like, oh, I get what you're saying. But as someone outside of sports, they are not going to understand what we're saying because from the stands, you're looking at like, oh, that coach is mad. No, mm-hmm. they're passionate. They're trying to bring out something in that player that someone else isn't going to. Um, to go back to your freshman, yeah, they, I had a couple freshmen that never played football before. So they're probably looking at me like I'm really crazy. But that's where mm-hmm. I look at freshman coaches that were watching them. Like, well, that's your job. That's a whole other thing. That's your job then. Like, if I'm going too mm-hmm. far, that's your job. But um, I also think kids may not be playing younger football, probably because of the concussion thing. I know a lot of things are going to flag football. They want to do mm-hmm. football to like seventh or eighth grade. Um, I know when I I didn't play I didn't play till my freshman year because where I lived there was a weight thing. So if you weighed so much, you were going to play wherever. I'm a big guy, so they were going to have me play people two or three years older than me. Gotcha. And my parents were like, nope, that's not happening. And the only place that did it that was not going to do that was 25 minute drive. So they're like, we're not gotcha. doing that. Um. And then I don't really know what the other issue would be if they're not playing in peewee. I really don't know. I had a good thought, and then I forgot. I know um, some just don't have it. I know in the suburbs you have all these schools combining, so they go to different places, like all this stuff. I don't know if that has something to do with it in the suburbs or not. And then, and, oh, I remember. I remembered. I think it's coaches. I'm not going to blame certain youth coaches, but for me personally, this is coming from me personally, 
where I used to coach. Not up, not up here. I don't see it quite up here, but down there, coaches were so worried about winning. They were so worried about winning, and I'll never forget. We had the seventh grade class when I was down there. And I was the going to be the OC, and we're like, they had sixty kids, I think, and or when they were in sixth grade, they had like sixty kids on their team. Wow. We were like, man, if we can keep like thirty some or whatever in high school, then their seventh grade it went down to fifty, eighth grade went down to thirty. Like it just dropped. And we were like, what's going on? So the head coach had to talk to them all. And they were like, well, we don't even know how to win with 60 kids. And he goes, that's not your job. Mm. Your job is to develop them into what we're looking at. And they're like, well, but they're supposed to know how to win. And he goes, I get what you're saying, but you need to play all these kids. And he goes, well, tell me how to play 60 kids. And he said, you have groups. Marvel was big. He goes, this is your Captain America group. This is your Iron Man group or something. Give it a fun name. And, you, and then every week, just turn the flip-flop the kids around. And if you're really worried about winning, try to gravitate the, the better kids to it. I don't know. You could do, do something cool. Yeah. And at the time, um, Rochester High School had just won like five in a row state high school championships. So he said, when you're driving into Rochester – do you see five-time state title junior rockets or five-time state title high school rockets? And he said, high school, he goes, you just answered my question. You're proving my point for me. So I think that's a right. part is coaches like me that are coaching kids that should not be doing it are probably like, we need to win. And so what happens is you mm-hmm. drive them off. So they're going to go mm-hmm. to the next youth that's going to go to a different school. Coach Steve's show is sponsored by the Launchpad Kickoff Tee. If you're a football coach out there, high school, college, NFL, doesn't matter, and you're looking for that edge for your special teams, for your kicker, for the kickoff, onsides, you guys need to go to launchpadkickofftee.com. If you have a younger guy trying to develop the kicker, you want the ball to get to the end zone, you need to go to Launchpad Kickoff Tee. This tee gives a coach a strategic options for squib kicks, onsides, everything. It is proven that your kicker will kick off farther. It is legal for NCAA, for high school, okay? The Launchpad Kickoff Tee is a game changer. So if you go to launchpadkickofftee.com slash CSS to use the code CSS, you can get a Launchpad Kickoff Tee for 10% off. So go to launchpadkickofftee.com slash CSS. You can use the code CSS for the Coach Steve Show to get 10% off. Also, there's a bundle. You can get one for 10% off. You can go to two and get more percent off. Or there's an option to buy four. If you click the option to buy the four kickoff tees, if you like it so much, when you use the code CSS, you'll get the fourth one free. So instead of paying full price for all four, you'll get three. So go to launchpadkickofftee.com slash CSS. Use the code CSS. Get 10% off. Buy four to get the fourth one free. This is a game changer, guys. It does more than just hold your balls. Go get the Launchpad Kickoff Tee today to give your kicker an edge for next season. As you guys know, the Coach Steve Show is also brought to you by the Unhinged Sports Network. The Unhinged Sports Network is a 24-hour, seven days a week, non-stop playing uh, radio podcast about any sport that you guys can imagine. They have a proud partnership with Fanatics. So if you go to the link in the description, 
uh, go to Fanatics, use that link, and go get some gear to support the Coach Steve Show and to support the Unhinged Sports Network. They have deals all the way up to 70% off. They have deals for free shipping, and they have every single sports team you could think of. Your college team is going to be on there. Your professional team is going to be on there. They have good deals on jerseys, T-shirts, hats, socks, anything you want. So please use the link in the description to go to fanatics.com. Say big on your team's gear to help support the support the Unhinged Sports Network and to support the Coach Steve Show. I think. Gotcha. No, I'm sure that has something to do with it as well. I'm just trying to think. Like, I remember when I played Pee Wee, we had both a travel squad and an in town. So basically it was either, and like you're mentioning, we had a very similar qualifications in terms of like age and weight sort of situation. So you had, in order to make travel squad, you obviously had to be quote unquote good enough, but you also had to be under the, the weight limitation for that. So we didn't even have age uh, groups. We had weight. Now imagine that I'm not, I didn't know a hundred percent of it, but I'm imagining that you couldn't be 14 years old and weigh 135 pounds and be playing with like 12 and 11 year olds who are also weighing in the same, the same weight. Um, point being though, so we had a travel squad for like five or six different weight divisions. And then if you didn't make travel squad or maybe you were uh, in between weights or whatever, then you played in the in-town program. And then as years past for maybe similar reasons as you're saying um we started to see the in-town program kind of dissipate and it was only travel ball Mm -hmm. so now at this point you know and like you're saying if i'm not playing at that at that age if i'm not you know getting playing time i'm 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 done i'm not you know i'm not gonna waste my time uh with that and i get it I, i do get that so like i remember and this is going way back to when i started coaching our our directives from our head coach as freshman coaches were keep kids in the program and make it fun. Whatever you have to do, Te- teach them fundamentals, teach them our system, teach them about at the time, Downers Grove North football, keep kids in the program, make it fun. And that's what we did in, uh, or tried to do, I should say. So like arrogance, that's what we did. We kept kids, but um, you know, really, and, and if, if it's peewee, I mean, it, it, it that should be, that's really the only expectation, you know, um, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying completely. Yeah, I haven't really seen that up here, but I'm also not involved in talking to them. Like when I was the OC, I was more involved of like, this is what we're going to do on offense. Up here, I'm not the big dog, even though I'm running game coordinator, quote unquote, I guess. It's not my job to go talk to them. So I, I don't I don't know if it happens up here, but I know in the suburbs it's a different ball game of this youth program might have these three high schools that they filter into. Yep. Um I don't know if that's another problem people have. I have no idea. I know this year you might have kids that not play because of COVID. And then they're coming in like, Well, COVID's over. We can play. Mm-hmm. I could see that being a yeah. thing. Um I could also see maybe some high schools not getting their youth camps in. Like, we're going to have one, make it fun. We we just got done with one. We're going to have another one. Maybe high schools don't do that enough. I you're talking know. for kids who are not in high school yet? Yeah, so maybe you're like, yeah. 
getting them to meet these high school coaches. You make that camp fun. They meet the freshman mm-hmm. coaches. But again, COVID screwed it up. So for me right now, maybe it's because they have COVID, they didn't do it. Um, right. I don't know. That's a good question. And I'm curious because, like I said, it's different up here than it is in central Illinois. Completely different. Mm-hmm. Completely different. Hmm. Um, I mean, at this point, I don't even – I don't know if there's necessarily anything wrong with that. It's just it seems like – the well, let's put it this way. The more exposure you have to coaching, regardless of sport, the the presumably the – more responsive you're going to be to that coaching, I guess. That's kind of where I was going with that is, you know, somebody who's, especially in, in the game of football, like, I, I mean, I'm trying to, at the risk of sounding politically correct, football, the percentage of, I don't know, the, the potential for injury, I guess, is a little bit higher in football. Sports. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to say it without saying it. Maybe it's just perceived that way. Um I don't know. My my point being was coaches in and the way that they coach uh in terms of just specifically the danger of injury in in certain drills whether it's here let's do it this way the 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 the, the fundamental skill of tackling or the fundamental skill of blocking if either one of those is not taught properly the risk of injury is considerably higher than if I'm not properly teaching um, somebody how to shoot a free throw, and that's not a, that's a kind of a terrible example, but you get what I'm saying. Like there are individual skills within the game of football that, if they are not properly taught, the risk of injury is higher. I guess that's kind of where I was going with that. So if I'm coaching said skill, and I see a situation in which like you're going to get hurt doing that. I'm probably more apt to react in a more intense way. That's kind of, that's, that's where I was going with that. I don't know. Well, and then I think youth coaches need to be on the same page of like, look, football's safer now. We're doing things way safer than they ever have. Absolutely. Like that video that's been on Twitter over and over, the two kids are laying down, they get up and hit. Like we all mm-hmm. did that. But looking mm-hmm. back at it, it's like maybe that's why I have six concussions that I don't know about. Like we don't know. So I yep. think we're, we're way safer. Tackling's way safer. How we do drills is way safer. How we weight lift is safer. Like, it's not all about the one rep maxes anymore. It's about how many can you do and then all this therapy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think youth coaches have to be kind of held to that a little bit of, look how safe we tackle. Look at the um, – start tackling a bag first instead of the body, and then you learn how to form, and then you can get to that. Um hitting people not with your head using your hands maybe your shoulders getting that like it's way safer than it has um sure like when i played you had the shoot that was metal so you banged your head on it well now you got the shoots with the mesh like everything is just smarter now than it used to be like it was water break you don't need a water break like back then (laughs) you get the one cup and you just dump on your head you don't need that remember the titans (laughs) that was a real life story like you had to earn your water we're going to do up-downs until Blue is no longer tired and thirsty. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And some kids don't know what an up-down is. And I'm like, oh, boy. Mm. Uh, or they don't know what two-a-days are. We don't have that anymore. Like, that's right. not Unless you do an hour in the morning and an hour at night. They don't. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget when I asked a kid, man, you're glad you don't have two-a-days. And they said, what's two-a-days? 
Are you talking about the TV show that used to be? I'm like, oh, God. No, I'm not talking about that. No, those days are long over. The, yeah. the month worth the month worth of practice every twice a day? Yeah. Seems longer. <laughs> oh. Yeah, these kids don't know that. But no, I get what you're saying. We're smarter, we're safer. And I think maybe high school coaches need to bring youth coaches in that year and say, this is how we're safe. You guys need to do this. Um, hmm. I'm wondering, like, Adam, again, I'm not, I'm not in the business of, you know, trying to insult people or anything like that, but I'm just wondering um, at, at any level, I mean, even at, even at the college level, I think to some degree we think like, you know, like laser clinics and other professional development and things that are available, should there be some sort of mandatory training that you need to pass in order to maintain your certification? I mean, let's just think just, just in, in the time that you and I have been in the profession, how many things have changed with regard to equipment, safety, um, the way that we that way that we are teaching certain drills, the way that tackling has, I would say, I would use the word evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, rule changes. I mean, are are we doing a disservice to ourselves by not making sure that coaches are coached up and trained in in, in you know things that are that are improving and evolving and everything like that? I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah, maybe, but and then you run into certain coaches that are really old school and like, well, that's not how I'm going to do it. So maybe that's hard. I don't, I don't know. I'm all for it because I think tackling's always been taught the same, but it's like, Oh, if you put your head down, you put your head down. Or like, as long as you tackle him now, like, like you said, when we get mad and stop everything is like, if you're not going to put, I we've pulled kids out. If you're not going to put your head up for the third time, I've told you, you're going to go stand over there and not do it because we're not out to risk your neck. We're not going to risk that kid getting hurt. We're not going to do it. Or when a lineman flips a defensive end, that happened this year. Some kid, someone did that to one of my def- to the defensive end, and he ended up hurting his arm because he got slammed. And I brought that right tackle over and just reamed. I'm like, this is unsafe. You don't do that. You don't look all cool. You don't look tough. Like that type of stuff. Yeah. And there's some coaches that thrive on that. They're like, that was tough. And I'm like, no, that's mm-hmm. stupid. Now when we played, that was tough. Now it's stupid because look at what's happened. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. And well, I mean, you could say the same thing about the, the, um, uh, you know, defenseless player rule, the things that like once upon a time you look at uh, highlight videos, how much of that stuff would be a penalty in today's game, you know? And, and I think 
to be quite fair, speaking as a person who's spent the predominant uh, or the majority of his time as an offensive player and as, as an offensive coach, you know, it's not necessary. That stuff is not necessary. You know, the, the, the blindside block, all that stuff, like you know, away from the ball and everything like that. I, th- I think it's a good thing for the game to, to not have those things uh, be, be the norm. You know what I mean? So that all factors into it. I think the point, like, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, I don't want to make it sound like peewee coaches aren't as knowledgeable or anything like that. But what I do want to say is that you're in such a position of influence as a peewee coach or even a lower level high school coach. I'd argue that if you're, if you're a head high school varsity coach, who's worth his salt at all, you know that you're putting some of your best dudes on the freshman level because you need those kids to be taught and you need those kids to be developed and you need those kids to stay in the program. And I would say the same thing about peewee coaches. There's a level of, um, you know, and again, I don't want to make it sound like any, any John Doe off the street can come in and coach peewee, but I, I feel like maybe in certain instances that's happened and leading to your point where maybe I don't know any better. Maybe I just think that, well, football is all about winning. I don't know that it should be about teaching fundamentals or having fun or preparing you for the next level of football that hopefully you're going to be playing. So, um, you know, at, at, and I, I know I'm ignorant to a lot of that because I, I, I don't know what the qualifications are to be a peewee coach, if there are any at all. So my suggestion is just specifically in this day and age with the focus on player safety, is there, is there something in place? And if there isn't, you know, should there be, that's just kind of where I was going with that. Nope. I agree with all of that. And that's just from my experiences too. People could listen to this and say, Steve, you're ignorant. Our youth coaches do this. And that's great. I'm just talking about for me, what I've seen. I'm like, ooh. Now that was just for one grade level. Now the other grade levels were fine. They were, it was fine. It was sure. just this one particular, because you get dads should coach, but you got some of those dads that were like living through their kid, you know. Yeah. And I hope I never do that later on in life. I hope I don't do that. I may not coach my kid. I may be like, you go do something else. I may never do it, but. That's a big thing too. Is all that they're they're living through their kids. You're gonna go D one, so that the, the teams you're on have to win and all that stuff. And but it needs to be fun. And you're right. The head varsity coach needs to have these really good coaches at the eighth, seventh grade level if they can, and the freshman level. Mm-hmm. And then you fill in the pieces from there. And I think that's the best way to go about it. Well, what do I know? I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything either. I don't know. It's a perfect example of just because you've been doing something for a bunch of years doesn't mean, you know, I mean anything. Experiences, uh, I don't know. Could be a little overrated. I don't know. Well, when I was younger, I thought I knew everything. And I started to know things. And I thought I knew it all still. And then when I came up to the suburbs... I realized I knew nothing again. Mm. And I just realized, mm. and I told myself, I will never know. I will never know it. I will learn things from Glenbard East and East Aurora, take it over to Addison, and I will continue to learn. I do not know it. But then it sucks because then the younger coaches look to me or the freshmen look to me 
for all the answers. And at some point I'm like, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Or you have those coaches that have been doing it longer than me. And they look at me as a, the a guy that, Oh God, Steve knows everything. Hmm. That's happened when I was OC coach yelling at me for something. And I'm like, don't yell at me on the field. Do it in the, do it in the office. I've dealt with that. Well, I've been coaching for 30 years. You've been coaching for nine or 10 at the time. And I'm like, and your point, mm-hmm. the worst, I know, I know you got kids and I'll wrap this up. One of the worst things ever told to me was this is the way we've always done it. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. This is the way we've always done it. And that just drives me up a wall. I can't stand it. Agreed with that. Yeah. No, completely agree. If it works 100% of the time, okay, I'm with you. But chances are. (laughs) So before I let you go, how are your Florida Gators going to do with a real season? I guess the SEC had a real season basically almost. Uh, Yes. Well, I mean, the I think offense is going to look a little bit different. Uh, I'm I, I'm excited to see Emory Jones and and what he's going to do um, with with 100 of the reins at quarterback. Now I've even I've done a little bit of I, I missed the spring game this year, which I never do. But I was in the I was in the middle of um, you know going through some expenses and this and that and the other, and I got rid of Hulu Live over the summer because I'm like I don't watch. As soon as Florida's baseball team got eliminated from the College World Series, uh, you know early on I was like, all right, I'm done with live TV for now. I can, I can, I'm not a huge NBA guy. So like I can do without watching the NBA. I'm honestly not really a huge major league baseball fan either. So I can kind of go without watching baseball. Um, I I missed the Stanley cup playoffs a little bit, but again, I kind of got over that as well. So I was just like, I cut live TV and um, so I missed the spring game. But I think if you, if you remember the um, success that Florida had with Tim Tebow, and the dynamic offense where they had a bunch of playmakers and a quarterback who was a legitimate run threat. Uh, I think I'm, I'm hoping to see a little bit more of that. And I know they had some issues up front with the offensive line and I, I've, I've said it out loud to friends. I'll say it out loud here on the podcast and then the haters can come at me. This past season was the worst Florida defense that I can ever remember watching. I, I cannot remember watching them just give up yards and points and with the firepower that they had on the offensive side of the ball like 35 should be enough in most cases 42 should be enough in most cases and I mean um I don't know so that was kind of the most disappointing part is a team who's known for like you're not going to run the ball against this team and scoring is going to be at a premium they gave up a whole bunch of yards they did not consistently stop the run um there were times where they played against up-tempo teams and they looked a little bit confused on defense. And, and uh, I think, especially for me, this is another conversation that, you know, we can have at a later date, but uh, in the bowl game when it seemed like they were very disinterested. Um, so I think the hope is that they're going to ratchet up the defense and offensively, I think they're going to look a tiny bit defense. Hopefully they'll be able to run it a little bit better. I know a lot of, statistically speaking, the success that they had in the passing game was because their their relative inability to run the ball. So hopefully they will be able to do that. And having a quarterback who's a legitimate run threat can help you uh, with that. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing a more diverse offensive attack. Uh, and, and hopefully it's going to be a breakout party for Emory Jones. That's all I can tell you.
win the games that you should win in the league. They play Alabama during the regular season this year, which will be interesting. Um, I can't. That's that's been a while since that's happened. Typically, you don't see that until the SEC championship game or whatever. But um, you know, we'll see, man. I'm excited about it. I'm I'm, I'm anxious to 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 see what they can do this year. They got in my so I, we've talked about expectations earlier. Um, you know, for me, I kind of over the years as a fan, it's like beat Georgia, beat Florida State, compete for the East title and um, make the SEC championship game and, and, and see where it goes from there. So, I'm a big Tim Tebow guy, so I watched him way back when that made me watch Florida. Ever since then, I've had to watch, keep an eye on them. The only complaint I had offensively from them this past year was I felt like they tried to run Trask too much. I'm like, he's not – you know what I mean? Because, like, Dan Mullen was the OC for Tim Tebow. So, it's like, you could run Tim Tebow. There was times I watched him try to run him up the middle. I'm like, that's not – maybe he'll get you a tough yard when it's fourth and one. But there right. was times where they're running him on power reads and stuff. I'm like, that's not – me personally, I was like, that may not be what he's good at. He's good at RPOs. He's good at throwing it. He's good – I mean, they scored points against Alabama. He was good at throwing it. Yeah. So, that was my big complaint was like, what are you – what is – I was like, Dan Mullen, what are you doing trying to run him? Keep him in the pot. Yeah, you're not alone there. You're not alone there. Because when Tebow was a freshman, there was a package. He would go and Chris Leak was the starter, mm-hmm. and Tebow would come in as a freshman in certain situations, short yardage, red zone. They had a they had a package for him here or there to run the ball. I'm like, dude, you know, just put Emory Jones in the game. He let him run the ball. Like, uh, it doesn't matter if they know you're going to run. And even you know they would they would have some play action stuff with Emory Jones, and he would throw the ball a little bit too. And just you 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 feel like those guys would. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's frustrating. I understand what you're saying. Because, like, because Dan Mullen's offense, Urban Myers and Ryan Day, they need a mobile quarterback if they want to do what they want to do. And they were trying to make Trask last year, I think, do too much with that. Sometimes, not all the time. There was times where he stayed in the pocket, but that was my big complaint watching Florida. You're not alone. <laughs> All right, Coach, well, I appreciate your time. I took a lot of it. I know you got a family to deal with. Well, not deal with, be with, I guess is the better yeah. word. I just have a dog. I don't know. Playing in the basement, man. They're good. I say, we just have a dog. We don't know. That's what we have. That's, that's, that's all. Well, I appreciate your time. We'll stop it again before my internet says, Steve, you're on Zoom again. Get off Zoom. <laughs> appreciate you as well, man. Thanks for having me on again. Um, it's fun. It's always fun. Yep. Guys, listen, thank you so much. We'll see you guys next time. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have another – I'm getting returners. I'm getting everybody that was on before coming back. So today I have Coach Hanson coming back. He was one of the – he was way back when. Um, He's currently the wide receivers coach at the University of St. Francis in Juliet, Illinois. Coach, welcome back. Appreciate it, Coach. Thanks for having me back. Apparently, I didn't uh, annoy you too much the first time, so we can continue the conversation. I appreciate it. I'm always worried I'm going to run coaches off. Like this morning, I told you I already screwed it up with a coach. I don't know if I got the time wrong because they're East Central time. You know, I don't know if I screwed it up. Mm. I try not to run coaches off. So when coaches say yes, I'm like, I didn't do anything yet to screw it up because I go. I'm Joe Rogan of sports. I just go off the cuff. It just goes. I don't have a list like I used to. 
Um, I hope I'm smart enough to have a conversation about football or something just to go. And so far, I haven't screwed it up yet. Uh, COVID brain hasn't ruined everything yet. (laughs) And that's a true thing, guys. COVID brain was a true thing. Someone could tell me something for 10 minutes and it would not process. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, We were just talking a little bit before recording. Um, I'm asking coaches that are coming back how their COVID year went because we all had different experiences. You were telling me a little bit about it before. How did your guys' COVID spring – I watched the very first game. It was against St. Xavier. I got to watch mm-hmm. it on YouTube. That was in the snow. There was snow. It was like 10 degrees outside. That's wow. how Illinois started. So how did your guys' COVID year go with all this craziness? I, I think what I can say the most, the, the memory – that sticks with me the most is so college football, you know, your typical year is play in the fall and then you have practice in the spring, right? Spring ball, spring practice. So these, the, our group who played this past spring, this didn't dawn on me until recently. So they finished a spring in the spring of 19, right? Or, um, and then you're turning that you're going to play in the fall of 2020 and end up not being able to play in fall of 2020, having it pushed back to uh, the spring. Maybe my dates are wrong, but anyways, so you just came out of a spring ball, which it's, it's not the most fun experience in the world because you're practicing week in and week out and you don't get to compete, play a game on Saturday. Some schools have, you know, your spring game at the end to kind of wrap things up. And that's, that's kind of what you stay motivated for. Um, We, we don't, or well, I should say we didn't. We didn't do that at St. Francis. Um, so you're talking about basically going two spring balls back to back when our season got flip flopped and they moved the competitive. Well, NAIA came out and said conferences do what you want. Essentially, if you want to play in the fall, play in the fall. If you want to play in the spring, play in the spring. And they kind of left it up to conferences to make that decision. Some conferences ended up having a competitive season in the fall, and our conference chose to push the competitive season to the spring so our fall essentially became our spring ball so we had guys come in and start working out doing conditioning exercises and strength and and uh things like that in august after they had just finished a spring right um in in i think they finished in like the april neighborhood so i wasn't around for that so my first experience with st francis was our fall slash spring practice in august of a year ago okay so these guys go from spring ball to spring ball back to back and now we're going to start a competitive season we started practicing in january indoors uh to start with we were able to secure a facility to practice indoors when it was still completely unbearable outside. And now you go and start practicing outside doing actual football practice and it's cold. And, you know, there are times where, you know, we're, we're in our spare time kicking the ice clumps off the field to get stuff moved out of the way and everything like that. And not once did I hear anybody complain. Not once did I see any overt lack of effort or energy or focus or anything like that, which I think, really says a lot about our players and they had waited so long to have a competitive season that once we got the opportunity to do it, they really took advantage of it. Not ideal to practice outdoors in those conditions, obviously. And especially when, you know, you, you really haven't, you haven't played football 
in a year. You haven't done anything, you know what I mean? Like you're, mm-hmm. uh, so putting the pads on, getting outside, installing the offense, repping, executing, going through indie drills, uh, and it's 10 degrees. And, you know, by the way, the, the, the sun's still going down early because it's the spring, right? And, and it's, you know, we're, we're turning the stadium lights on at 5 o'clock, and it ain't, it ain't warm. <laughs> and these guys are hustling and getting after it and doing everything that, that their coaches are asking them to do, uh, and then some. Guys are staying after to get extra reps, uh, do extra conditioning, things like that. So it was, and, and I think it translated. Now, we didn't have, from the standpoint of record, we didn't have the success we were hoping for. Uh, but I mentioned, you know, when we, were, uh, when we weren't recording, we, we lost all but one game by a possession. We lost by eight points or less. Um, so five out of six games, we ended up playing an eight-game season. Uh, we scheduled nine games. One of the games was originally postponed and then canceled altogether uh, because of the, the lack of field conditions. I mean, it just wasn't it just wasn't a safe situation. So what ended up happening was, as you mentioned, St. Xavier. So St. Xavier and Roosevelt University and St. Ambrose and ourselves scheduled basically a home and away round robin. So we play, we're scheduling to play each other twice. And one of our Roosevelt games was the game that got canceled. So we ended up playing St. Xavier twice. We played St. Ambrose twice. We played Roosevelt once. And then um, played Missouri Baptist, who's a league opponent of ours. Played Olivet, who's a league opponent of ours. Um, played Trinity, who's a league opponent of ours. And I want to say that's it. So two St. Xavier's, two Ambrose's, Roosevelt, Trinity, Olivet, Mobap. Yeah, that's eight games right there. So um, ended up playing eight. We went two and six. But like I said, five of the six losses were by eight points or, or less. So we were in every game. Um, and the other thing that I think translates from the, the the way that we practiced and were able to really fight through the whole COVID situation. In the games that we were losing or ended up losing, at no point did I see any quit in any of our players during the game. You know, sometimes you get to that point where, um, you know, to be quite fair, there's, there's a quote rivalry between St. Xavier and ourselves. And, in our history of playing St. Xavier, we have not won a single time. So, I, and the, you know, you talk about rivalries, d- generally speaking, rivalries are a little bit closer in terms of like win-loss record. Uh, we've never beaten St. Xavier in the history of our program. So, uh, you know, geographically we're close by and we tend to recruit the same players and this and that and the other. But from, from a competitive standpoint, it, it's and this is no disrespect, obviously, to, to my university, but it's it's really not close. So, and in in the two losses to St. Xavier, my experience as a player at St. Francis and kind of the the um, remnants of the seasons after uh, I stopped playing, you get that sense of oh, here we go again. We're losing to St. Xavier. We're going to lose again. And in neither of the two games did I get that feeling at all on the sideline uh, at any point during the game. And they were both close games. Uh, and, and I felt like we were competitive in both of them. Some things didn't go our way. Like, you know, we beat ourselves in, in some instances. But at no point during the season did I ever get the feeling like um, our players' attitude was such that, oh, we lost or, oh, here we go again or anything like that. We were positive and competitive in every game. And, you know, despite injuries, despite um, adversity, 
And again, I think that's a testament to our players and our coaching staff to, to a large degree, more, more so the players because they're the ones who are out there doing it. But, um, you know, COVID hit us all a little bit differently. But from that standpoint, I would say that we used it as an opportunity that we were hoping we were going to get, and we finally got it and made, made, made the most of it, record notwithstanding. That's a common thing I'm hearing, especially from high school. Our kids, we went one and five, but the kids never quit. There was never like they don't want to be there. Like asking other high school coaches in Illinois, that was a theme of like nobody quit, even though we had six games, no state title, no playoffs, nobody quit. So I think everybody kind of knew like we almost didn't have football because everybody knows how the Illinois thing went, you know, not to get political, but. January, we all knew if it wasn't going to happen by January, then it wasn't political. But anyway, I think everybody knew we were so lucky to have it because of how close we were to not having it. I think we were going to have, for high school anyway, we were going to have track and baseball no matter what because they couldn't justify canceling those two years in a row. But to have football, I think every, every coach knew and every kid knew we were so close to not having it that nobody cared. Like if we lost a game, they cared, but then like they didn't quit. Yeah. Um, so that's a common thing I keep hearing is nobody quit. Nobody, if we were losing by 20 or 30, nobody was like, I want to leave. Mm-hmm. Like, there were some starters. We all know we've all been 30 pointed or whatever. If we were pulling starters, they didn't want to come out. They were like, mm. and one of my linemen said, I don't know when we're going to do this again. So I want to stay out here because it could be canceled with COVID, like contact tracing. So that's just good that even at the college NAI level and stuff, that's a common theme was like, yeah, nobody wanted to quit. Nobody gave up. Nobody was mad. They were just playing. And I'm glad to hear that from people because that's what it's about. Just playing and having fun. We take it mm-hmm. too serious. Sometimes you kind of have to get it's college us at the high school. Sometimes we take it too seriously, but that's a common thing I keep hearing. So that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I mean, we're we're still we're still in the business of graduating young men. So I mean, yeah. football like, like this is kind of my. We were talking a little bit beforehand. Um, you know, now that the the biggest difference, two big differences between the college game and the high school game that that I've personally experienced, uh, and you can guess what they are. The number one is the time commitment because now we're year round. We're year round sport, um, so you have your your spring ball and your fall ball, and then the recruiting aspect of it. But to be completely honest with you, we're we're in the business of graduating young men. We're not. It's not. This is going to sound. It's not that we're not trying to win a conference championship, or not trying to make the NAIA playoffs, or not trying to win an NAIA national championship. We are trying to do those things, but it all of those things pale in comparison to graduating young men, preparing them for life after football, because last time I checked, the percentage of NAIA players making it to the next level is relatively small. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not to disrespect anybody who has made that leap and made that accomplishment, um, but the, the, the odds are against you. So, um, however, the odds are much better that you're going to be employed in the real world someday, and you had better be doing something that um, – you're hopefully passionate about and that's why you went to school for four years to study something that you can uh, develop a love for and then you're going to do that for a living uh, as well as hopefully we're preparing you for marriage and or fatherhood um, down the road so you know there's there's 
sometimes we forget, you know, there's, there, there's some things that are a little bit more important than football and we had better be telling our players that, you know what I mean? Like, yes, football is important. Um, but it's important because life after football is more important. So there are things obviously that we know having coached for years that football will help you learn certain things or help you, um, develop certain characteristics. Uh, I heard this the other day and I was, I was kind of giving it some thought, you know, football, football, um, doesn't build character. It reveals character. Um, but personally, I think the jury's still out on that for me. I can see it from, from both sides. Um, but there is truth to that, you know, football reveals character. And I think it reveals uh, a, a lot more about what you as an individual can be after football. And, and like you're saying, you know, it, it's, Hopefully we're doing that as coaches. Yeah. Um, that's why I do three sports because mm-hmm. I have kids, I don't do football. I have kids, I don't do basketball. And like we said, I'm at two different high schools, so I need to change the scenery. But that's why I do that too. Like, So I can sit here and say I'm helping Addison and I'm helping Nequa. Complete opposite yep. ends of the spectrum because everybody knows in Illinois what Nequa is. So like I have mm-hmm. to go over there to do that. Um, but um, you may not have done this. I've asked high school coaches. You probably didn't do this. I panicked during COVID because high school, the first football practice was March 3rd. But you didn't have everybody because basketball was done March 13th. Okay. So I think we had like a week and a half or so of practice. So for me, I panicked and I said, I got too worried about scheme. So I sacrificed techniques and stuff to get the scheme in okay. because I would panic, you know, like I have a week and a half to, yeah, we had contact days in February, but four or five of us coaches were coaching basketball. So I was the run game coordinator. So I said, well, this is the run game we're going to do. But then I sacrificed um, technique and I did scheme. So during practice, yeah, I would do drills. But then I would panic, and I was like, okay, we have to make sure we understand what power is, ISO, and inside zone, and whatever. And then a game, I would get frustrated, like, well, why aren't you galloping? Why aren't you doing this? Well, Steve, you idiot, you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So I've asked other high school coaches, did you panic and do the same thing I did? And some have said yes. Like, they kind of panicked and said, we have to have scheme in. And then I took a step back after that season. I've become more simple now of like, we're going to work on simple technique where it translates to all run schemes. I assume right. you have to do that because it's college. But for me, I panicked. I was like, we got to understand this. We got to get this in because we have a short season. We only had a week and a half. And a sure. week and a half is, that's terrible. It's right. terrible to cram that all no, in. I can't imagine. No, I mean, we're, we're, we were actually on, on the other end of that spectrum completely because we had um, – our spring install going right into our fall install, so to speak. So there was, oh gosh, I mean, um, maybe a month in between, I guess, when our, so we, we started our like summer conditioning, which would have been like um, the beginning. So typically for us in the spring, uh, a, a normal spring would be, we have, strength goes like full steam I think guys lift four days a week and then two days a week they're up early in the morning for conditioning and that's before any football activities are taking place 
So that's how we started in August. Guys were in school and they were lifting four days a week and we had them out on the field uh, two days a week doing conditioning drills, cone drills, stuff like that. Uh, And it wasn't until, gosh, I want to say October that we actually started doing actual football stuff, like installing offense, installing defense, this and that and the other, indie drills. So, and, and I'm trying to, it all kind of blends together after a while, but I, I seem to remember not having a whole lot of time in between the end of the spring practice that occurred in the fall and then the start of our competitive season in January. So I, I think we were in less of a hurry to get things in knowing that we're just going to come back and reinstall it again in January and have, and have time to do it. Plus at that time, um, we were still trying to get guys healthy and trying to get guys back, uh, and everything like that. So yeah, I would say we had kind of the, the, the opposite of what you're talking about. We weren't necessarily in a hurry to, to, to do anything knowing that we would have that extra time to double up on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the high school, but like each school district was different, obviously of what you were allowed to do. So our district, we saw the kids in October then it was Sia, like mm-hmm. shutting it down. So we did the Zoom. I'd have a Zoom meeting every so often. But we all know that only sinks in so much. Like that's not going to do it. Um, then, you know, basketball starts in February. So you had coaches coaching basketball. You had those kids playing basketball. So you try to do Zoom meetings. You try to do whatever. So we just couldn't really see the kids. And then you come in in March, hot and heavy of like, here you go, start. Yeah. And one thing we've talked about was strength and conditioning. Like, are we going to have injuries? Are we going to have ankle stuff? And luckily for us personally, we did not. Once in a while, they were beat up. That was the big worry. But, yeah, the scheme thing, when we got going in February or March, I panicked. We all – a couple panicked. We were like – and then we started to over-install. So I got way too much farther, and I said, wait – how many times do we run this play in a game? Twice? Why am I talking about it? Like, we're getting way too far ahead. The only, the only positive that's come from it was we started in June, so it's still fresh. Like what you said, okay. you had like a month. We kind of did that too. Football was done in April. Come back in June, so like we, we installed the 4-2-5 defense. They kind of remember what he was telling them. Some of my run stuff and terminology, the older kids, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. So that's the only positive coming from it was like, I remember you doing that. And we've taken the whole month of June and just broke it down where I'm like, this technique is going to transfer to every run play. This is going to do everything. And then July is going to be all scheme. And then we'll restart it in August. So that's what I mean. We're back to normal, but it's all, but that panicking has helped me become more simple. Okay. Well, that's a good thing then. And like you learn from your mistakes. So when I saw I overdid it, um, telling the OC and the head coach I overdid it. And they're like, yeah, we all kind of did. We were all kind of thinking we have to have this defense installed. We have to have this offense installed. And you talk to other coaches in the state, they're like, we're in the same boat. Don't do it. Don't over-install. Don't overdo this. So mm-hmm. you learn from your mistakes. That's the best way to do it. Hopefully, yeah. No, that's good. Um, I talked to another coach. It's like you. So you still teach, right? You're still a teacher. Yep. Full-time teacher, part-time coach. So yeah, it's, it, it's, um, I'm, I'm, um, we only have three, two, three full-time guys on our staff, you know, three guys who are in the office every day doing, doing football 
you know, year round. So um, there are a handful of us. We actually have, there's another guy, our, our offensive line coach, who is, he's one of the smartest football dudes I've ever been around. And he's, uh, he's full-time teacher as well. So yeah, we have, it's, it's the, I don't know if, I don't know if, um, it was a mystery to me at first. And then kind of the more I was involved in it, the more I figured it out. So, you know, division one guys, guys you're watching on TV. If you think about the budget that they have for full scholarships for players and how like much money those guys make coaching, (laughs) that kind of makes sense. So then when you start to go down the levels a little bit and understand the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make it all about money, but essentially the budget that, a, a, a certain school has for scholarships, you know, and, and see, uh, people who, who are involved with football understand it, you know, high school coaches understand the, um, the, the budget limits that, that schools have. And obviously division three who offers no athletic scholarships. Well, let's stop and think about, how, you know, what, what that would look like in terms of how a staff is, is compensated. So we're kind of in a similar position where, you know, budget dictates this is kind of the pool that is available for the coaching staff. And then this is the pool that is available for uh, scholarship money for athletes. And we're very transparent during the recruiting process with potential student athletes about, you know, this is how it works. You know, as an NAI institution, we're able to do both academic and athletic scholarships to hopefully, you know, sweeten the pot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but But it's not like we have you know, we don't have 24 guys walking around who are on full ride scholarship, whether, you know what I mean? So it, when you, when you understand that uh, in, in the context of how coaches are compensated, you know, so like I say, we have three full-time guys, our head coach uh, and our offensive coordinator and our guy who is our special teams coordinator and happens to be the other guy uh, who coaches receivers. Those are our three full-time coaches. And then everyone else is either in a part-time and or volunteer role uh, and we did have, we do have one GA and we have, uh, we just lost a guy who, uh, was a volunteer coach, young guy, just getting into coaching and, uh, spent one season with us. He just took a, a